Hi, my name is Tom Alston. I'm the founder and CEO of Aeromarine Tax Professionals. Here on the Winning Pitch Broadcast, I'm going to tell you how it is. I'll be sharing the ins and outs of business management, improving your sales skills, building personal and professional wealth, and balancing it all with your personal and family life, excluding the part about balancing it with your personal life. Don't expect to filter because we're about to rustle some feathers. Have fun. Welcome to this edition of the Winning Pitch Podcast. The purpose of this podcast is to inspire you to be more successful in your life by listening to other people's stories who are successful, who are a little bit farther down the pathway than you are. But this is Matt Soltis. He's a friend of mine from England, and he's, right now he's currently in Canada. And Matt, the stage is all yours. Thanks, Thomas. It's a pleasure to be here. And you know, I think what you're doing is it's powerful because that's really how, how my journey began. You know, I was looking for the right information and trying to find some guidance amidst the noise that we live in, you know, the, the noise of modern day society, which is really that, that force of average that I think pulls us down. And for anyone listening, I suppose, who you may relate quite a bit to my story, I, I started my journey really trying to, you know, when I was growing up, my family, we didn't really have a lot. And I'm sure that a lot of people listening may may resonate to this. You know, we we were really just getting by, but my parents were working so, so hard uh, to just provide for, for myself and my siblings. And there was a wake-up call for me, which was when I was three years old, uh, I lost my younger brother, Jack. Very suddenly, he lost his life like that in, in a blink of an eye uh, due to meningitis. You know, no symptoms until the evening before at about 10 p.m. He was crying. He was upset. As, you know, he's six months old. I was three years old. But it's an event that vividly shaped really my path uh, growing up and made me realize how fragile life is. Because by 4 a.m., he, he passed away. And it made me just realize how you know, life cannot be taken for granted. And I feel that ever since that that moment, it's really been a blessing for me long term in my life, because it's given me daily recognition of our own mortality. And I feel that that's what a lot of us refuse to acknowledge is just how fragile life is. And you know what, you've got one life to live, go out there and just freaking live it to your own true potential. Quit doing what other people want you to do. Do what you want to do with your own life because you never know when it's going to be taken away from you. And so that was really the event growing up that that woke me up. And I think a lot of us are always waiting for that wake-up call. You know, too many people are drifting through life. And this is something that I've continuously seen, unfortunately, throughout my journey today is we drift and we don't make firm decisions and commitments to change our situation. And Really, the big thing that I always want to help people do is, is just wake up that, that truth inside of them. Are you really doing what matters to you the most? Are you living your life fully? Are you going for those 10x goals, magnifying your own ambition? Because we're all here to grow and to really aspire for more. So I went through this journey as a, as a child. Uh, my, my younger brother and sister were, were since born. I was the one who was alive when, when Jack passed away. But my younger brother and sister were born. And Still, I saw my parents working so, so hard amidst the challenge of, of you know, losing, losing their son. And it really made me realize how important money is in our life. 
and and maybe realize just how money is a tool to to make choices and to to make decisions and i felt that my parents deserved better so i went down this journey of really wanting to unlock the truth about money uh, from from that young age because i just wanted to help my parents with the the fortitude the work ethic the drive that they'd shown me and that commitment to provide for the family despite the challenges that they'd had and um, so that's really where my journey began and and you know today I've gone through a journey taking me through the city of London, learning about investment banking from the inside out, then working for a fund in the private equity space before finally deciding, right, I'm going to take this knowledge and I'm going to share it with the world and help more people to achieve financial success in their life while also pursuing my own dreams within entrepreneurship. And, and here we are today, Thomas, having, having a good conversation together. Well done. So, how did you get into the investment? But you've gone from having this tragedy to three, and then you fast forwarded really quickly and got in the investment banking business. When did you make the decision to do that? Yeah, so I was actually, as a graduate, I was studying civil engineering at university because I started seeing how my dad was making a bit of money with property. And I've always been someone who loves tangible things and the experience that is life. And so Whenever I go to new places, I've always been fascinated by the architecture, the spaces, the aura that places can give us. And that experience, that connection to life that we feel if we go to an inspiring place. So for me, growing up and traveling around Europe in my late teenage years, I always wanted to learn really about property and how could I start building some buildings? And and I realized it was a vehicle for wealth as well. So I went to university, studied civil engineering, thinking it would teach me a lot about property investing, but it really just taught me how to draw bending moment diagrams and design beams. And that's not what I liked. I was always really thinking at a bigger level as opposed to looking at the minutia of, of designing things. And so I didn't really fit into the academic world. I was very challenged at times. Just I was one of those high achievers that always had to work hard. And I'm sure some people listening will relate to that. Hey, I, I was never gifted at all when it came to academia. I had to study like crazy just to pass the exams in university because it wasn't a natural alignment for me. So I actually had a placement year working in an engineering group on a nuclear power plant in Scotland, of all things, you know, a real different space to where I am today. And and it just made me realize that there are people within that group who are great people, but they'd been doing the same thing for 20, for 30 years and working their way up the career ladder. And I just felt like there was so much more to life. And engineering didn't inspire me enough. It was too much of a comfortable environment. I was like, I want to be stress tested. I want to go into the city of London and actually put myself into uh, into stress to learn more, to grow more, and to learn about business and money. And so that's really when the spark was ignited. I remember I was in a nuclear power plant, uh, power plant on my placement year, aged around, uh, I think it was 19, 20 at the time. And I just made the decision. I was like, you know what? I'm going to commit to learning whatever it takes to get into investment banking. I don't know anyone in finance right now, but I'm going to do whatever it takes. I'm going to travel to London. I'm going to network. I'm going to connect with people. And I'm going to find a way to break in. And so from that point of decision through to achieving the goal, what resonated for me was realizing that the reason it happened, looking back, was because I knew it was going to happen. I knew inside. I had the expectation of the end result. And I think that's so key whenever we're setting big goals. We've got to expect 
that ex expectation of the end result is what drives the whole creative process for me. And just expecting, I, I just, honestly, I had that knowing inside of me that I was going to do it. And so I was in the library at university on Friday nights at like 2 a.m. in the morning, hitting off investment banking applications and, and reaching out to people and all the rest of it, whilst all my friends were out partying at university. But ultimately, it took just a dogged determination, a complete commitment, and to breaking in and just networking like crazy. And from there, I ended up eventually, you know, going to a bunch of interviews, failing a bunch of them, getting turned away. And then finally, I got three offers on the table after a good two years of, of pushing commitment towards, towards that goal. And, and that was really a breeding ground for learning about money. Suddenly, from, from where I'd been, I was in an environment where you're dealing with 100 million transactions that are, seen, that are deemed small versus the billion-dollar transactions that are happening on the deal floor. And that was really when suddenly my financial thermostat went to a whole new level because you see hundreds of millions of dollars flashing across a computer screen in one transaction. So, you know, that was really how it happened. So did you stay working at the nuclear power plant for that two years while you're going through that search or did you just cut ties and starve? So what happened is I cut ties. I went back to being a broke student for a period of time. Although to be honest, I was not that broke a student because I was working and hustling in my spare time. I, uh, you know, I was always selling things. I was also a barista working at Starbucks, pouring coffee, meeting people. It was actually a great, it was a great uh, part-time job that, although it was more like a full-time job alongside my degree, working 40 to 50 hours a week there, just saving whatever money I could. And, you know, that I, I left the nuclear power plant. They gave me a job offer. I decided, no, I'm not going to work for you. It was actually EDF Energy, the French energy company, uh, who are very big in the UK, all around nuclear power. I think they have about 55 nuclear power plants in France. And I just felt like it, it wasn't my purpose. There was something more than that for me. And yet a number of my friends from that year, they went down that path and that's what they settled for. And I'd just say to people, look, don't, if you know that there's something more inside of you, don't settle, don't sell yourself out. Don't sell yourself short on your potential because I could have very easily just slipped into that role, just cruised along, earned a very good salary as well. You know, it was reasonable pay and it was very little work versus what I ended up in, you know, working 100 plus hour weeks in investment banking as a graduate. But the learning journey was so much more doing what I did. And so I think it's very important to just make that commitment that you're not going to sell out of your dreams. And that's really how that path evolved for me going, you know, walking away from the energy sector, deciding that actually I'm going into business. I want to learn everything I can about business, finance, money, because I didn't know anything and investing ultimately with a private equity fund. And following that, it then gave me really the, the skills that I, I knew I needed to apply in the real world and become an entrepreneur and create my own businesses, you know? It kind of sounds like to me that you already were an entrepreneur, naturally. Were you? Yeah, I suppose. Yeah, to a degree. In fact, it's funny. I remember when we were at the nuclear power plant, My one, one time at the nuclear power plant, we were changing a bunch of these relays. So relays are basically these electronic switches. And this is an old nuclear power plant that was built in the 80s, yet they have to maintain all this archaic computer equipment to keep the nuclear power plant operating. So nuclear power plants are very interesting spaces because you're trying to keep the plant running and generating electricity, 
but all of this was built 20, 30 years ago if it's a, if it's a mature nuclear reactor. So one time we were changing all of these relays, and I remember my boss told me that those contacts on the relays, you know what those are? Those are pure silver. And the spark went off in my brain, and I was like, right, I'm going to do whatever I can to collect as much silver as I can and go sell it. And my boss gave me permission. You know, I got permission from him and I was literally there working to change these relays. And then every day I'd work overtime just on my own, you know, without being paid. And I would just be standing there snipping the relays uh, and getting as much silver as I could. So actually, I feel like I always had that spark whenever I saw a chance to really make some money or go and exchange something of value with other people, even if it was the silver contacts of those relays. I mean, I had blisters. I was cutting so many of these relays up, the metal contacts to get the silver. And then I had bags and bags, kilos of this silver contacts, these tiny little contacts, but they all added up. I had blisters on my hands, but I was committed to, to just getting those silver contacts, you know? So I think it's some, it's one of those things where you, you have a spark. I think early on, a lot of us, entrepreneurs we have that spark early on in life that it can't be ignored you can go and work in the corporate sector but I always knew that I wasn't going to be in investment banking forever no matter how much money they put at me the challenge I have is that there's a lot of people I feel who go into that space that would otherwise be suited for business but they give up on their dreams because they're you know they're they're given that that golden carrot of of money or of partnership or whatever it is and we let our dreams die you know so let's go back before the incident with the uh, the contacts and silver. And I want to dive into where did you make the decision or the have, where did you have the courage to become to start doing things on your own? Now, so there's something that sparked you earlier than that because yeah. that decision to you about the silver was a decision that you had made earlier than that. So I'm just going to, I'm going to pick at you until we find out what it is. Great point. It it did happen earlier. And I I remember it vividly when, when I was six years old, I'd had, you know, Laura and Dan, my younger sister and brother were born at this time. And we moved from Bath, my home city in England. We moved over to Wales. So over to Cardiff in Wales, the capital city of Wales, which is one of the other countries, I suppose, in the UK, uh, and the reason we moved was because my dad was commuting every day to a job in Cardiff from Bath. So we moved the whole family unit from Bath to Cardiff at a brand new house. But my parents, you know, we didn't have a lot of money. So they bought a really old house, but it was a big house. They bought this really old house that was in completely dated condition. But my dad always wanted a project. And so, again, that sparked the whole property side as well. And my brain thinking of, okay, buying up undervalued property. But we brought the whole family into basically a renovation job. But what happened within within three to six months of moving to Cardiff, what happens? My dad gets made redundant because he found out that the Cardiff business was basically closing down for good. And my dad was basically on his tot. He, he He was sent off no more money coming in. And think about it. You've just bought a new house. You've got a mortgage in place and everything else. You've got to provide for your family. What does my dad do? Well, my dad made the commitment right there and then to go and set up his own business. And that was when I was six years old and he set up the own, his own business from our basement in the house. Him and a business partner who was actually a work colleague from his previous firm 
they both went into a partnership together. And I saw over my childhood that business evolve from my dad and his idea and his ultimately his commitment because he'd just been made redundant. He had no more money coming in. I saw my dad and his business partner grow a business practice from just those two in the basement to having, you know, 30 to 35 employees across Wales and also opening an office in Ireland, uh, over in Belfast and also over in, in Reading in England. So that gave me the spark and just realizing the freedom that my dad had to, he could work where he wanted, when he wanted, have his lunch breaks when he wanted. He just had more choice. And that's what I realized is as a business owner, you can choose when you have a lunch break. You can choose where you want to work from, provided that you get your job done and you've got a team around you to support the areas that you're not so competent in. And, and really, that was when I suppose the seed was planted that the ultimate goal for me would be to go into business. But I also had to be careful not to slip into that employee mindset, which my dad was very much of, and my mum as well. They're very much employee, self-employed in terms of their mindsets and trading time for money. And I think that's one of the big journeys we go through is, you know, it's like the cash flow quadrant, Robert Kiyosaki talks about. You want to be an employee, then we become self-employed, which is what my parents did. So my mum owned her own pharmacy eventually over the years. And then we want to become business owners and then finally investors. But each four quadrants requires a different mindset and skill set altogether. Awesome. So I'm curious, what kind of business did your father start in your basement with his partner? Yeah, so he set up, my dad's a landscape architect and energy consultant. So he was effectively, when he was working for someone else, he was designing all the landscaping around uh, real estate developments, typically commercial real estate. Okay. And, and doing a lot of landscaping and managing how human traffic moves through, moves through things and urban areas. So, and he was also doing applications for wind farms and solar farms and renewable energy plants too. So my dad was in that space and he basically set up a consultancy practice from the home where he was doing everything that he did working for someone else, but he was now doing it effectively for himself. And what I always admire though, is the work ethic that my dad had. He was always so committed working day in, day out to just launch this thing off the ground, build a client base and then over time, build a practice of professionals within that space that were providing energy consulting at a time when the re renewable energy sites across the UK were really ramping up. So he had some really successful years, I suppose, in the early 2000s. The business is still around today, although my dad sold out two years ago. He finally sold out. And, and now he's, he's off doing something else, which is basically in the hospitality industry, just providing uh, quality holiday accommodation in, in Wales. So that's the transition that he went on. And, you know, I think just seeing, seeing how an idea from a basement in your own house can build into a team and you're providing for other people, you're generating value for your employees and your staff. That was really, for me, what, what drove me into business. So did he become so engulfed in that business? And I'm asking you about your viewpoint. I realize it started at sixth and carried on through your life. Did you feel like he was ignoring family time at all? That's a, yeah, it's a good question. I feel, yeah, I think he had to. I think he had no other option at the start of it because he'd you know, just be made redundant. And suddenly, think about it, if your income stops, if you think about the emotions of that, you're suddenly now going from 
say, a comfortable mode, you're back into survival mode. And the brain is in its default mode of operation where you're just looking to bring some money in to support your family and your children. So I feel like, of course, he had to almost just go all in immersive into his business. And yes, I do feel that that was the challenge. He was always always really caught cool exchanging time for money because it's that self-employed trap that we fall into is suddenly the business grows and grows around us. And yes, we can hire staff, but still be caught in the actual exchange of time for money and then neglect other areas of our life. So I do feel, especially in the early years, it was tough. I think over time it got better, but that's also what drove me to learn more about money because ultimately more money, more resources allows us to outsource more. It allows us to scale. It allows us to really delegate a lot more because we bring people in and we support more families and livelihoods as well with our staff and our team around us. So I think that's the other thing it drove me to do is, okay, what are these other businesses doing now? You know, because it's not like my dad works extremely hard, but it, clearly your work ethic is not tied to how much money you make because I knew... I knew that my dad was working so, so hard, so hard, but he wasn't bringing in anywhere near as much money as some of these other people who okay. I looked at in these big businesses. So I was like, what's going on? And so, I think that's what sparked it. I want to dig a little bit deeper on that subject because all of the answers you gave to me sounded to me like where you're at now and looking back and evaluating it. How did you feel as a seven-year-old and eight-year-old when your dad was working so hard and didn't have time for you as an individual? Yeah, it's a good question. I think one of the good things was that he was always around us in terms of his proximity because he was working in our house good. until he got an office and everything else. So he was physically close to us as children. And so that was a good thing, but he was all in with the business. And I think the big lesson it just taught me was how money is so important. Because if you don't have enough money to, to pay the bills and to just look after that base level of security and safety, and that's really where I felt like my parents were at the time, then you have to do whatever it takes. You know, you, you have to neglect your family. And so I think for me, it was tough at times, but I also understood his reasons for doing it were, were well-intentioned. You know, he wanted to provide for us, for our family. But I think it did teach me a lot about, I, I never wanted to become someone who neglected my family for business in a long term. I wanted to be able to create a family myself that whilst building also a scalable business that doesn't require me neglecting my relationships for the pursuit of, of growth in the business. So I think that was the big thing that it shaped in me was that curiosity to learn what other people were doing. Because I knew that my dad was working harder and harder than, than a lot of people I knew. And yet he was bringing in a lot less money than a lot of other people that I knew, you know? Cool. So do you have any children now? I don't. No, not yet. I'm 30 years old. Uh, but in the coming years, no doubt, that's going to be uh, something that happens. And I feel like, you know, for when I do have kids, when I do have children, I, I want to be in a place where I can lead by example to them as well. You know, my dad, he did lead by, lead by example. That's what I always acknowledge is he, he really showed me how your commitment, your work ethic, there, there really is no substitute for that. But at the same time, 
there is also that work-life balance, which is always impossible to find. But I, know, I don't believe in true balance. I don't really think it, it doesn't exist. But I think what we can do is we can lower the amplitude of emotion in our life. So when I'm looking at life, where I think is how can we stop having peaks and troughs all the time and more consistency, you know, lower the amplitude of emotion because most of us human beings, we get so emotional that we just constantly have conflict and turmoil in our life and tension. And that's, that's a given. We're going to always have tension, but rather than going into euphoria and then depression, euphoria, you know, that those swings, I always looking at how can I balance that out and just make sure that I'm doing what I can to best take care of different areas of my life without neglecting certain things such as my fitness, my health, my relationships, my love life, my family, but then also grow a business with a lot of ambition. So, you know, I still haven't figured this out for sure, but I feel like that's what it's going to teach me when I do have children, for sure. It's going to teach me because I, I know the moment that we have children, our whole priorities shift in life. Absolutely. And so, and so I'm probably going to find this whole business thing pretty easy <laughs> the moment that that happens for the first time. As long as you plan for it. And let me ask you this, and this is probably pretty personal, but are you currently in a relationship, someone who's a, a very high on your list as your prospective partner and mother of your children? Absolutely. Yeah, no, absolutely. And it's a good question because I spent most of my 20s, to be honest, neglecting my love life and my relationships because I knew I knew what's I'm always very clear being very clear on the standards that I want in my life in different areas and one of those would have been relationship knowing the compatibility was so key and I'd have to have someone who when we come together we really build as a unit and as a family unit rather than having me the obsessed business guy going in one direction and someone else in a completely different direction. I think that's the challenge that we have so often with relationships is we have a phase of infatuation, but we don't have that compatibility. And so for me, it's the compatibility that's so, so key. And right now, my my partner, Martiga, she's also an entrepreneur. You know, she's also very heavily involved in the personal finance space. That's her part. She studied finance at university and that's the path that she's on and helping female entrepreneurs to grow and manage their money in a more sustainable manner, which I think is a very big issue today. You know, most entrepreneurs, this is the thing, entrepreneurs, we're great at, at making income. Typically, we can be very strong. If we're, if we've been in business for some time, we can be very strong at generating income, but we're typically very poor when it comes to managing the money, having our personal finances in order and actually investing. And so that's the big challenge now today that I'm helping more people solve whilst also growing you know, my own portfolio of investments on the real estate side. So, so yeah, I feel like the reason I can say that is because we're aligned and we both have a shared vision for where we want to be three, five, 10 years from now. So what happened before that that gave you the clarity on how important that alignment was as you, 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 as I heard you say it, you, when you were in your mid twenties, where most young, good-looking guys like you are partying and chasing and one-night stands, why did you know not to do that? Why did you know that that was a waste of your valuable resources? Damn, this is a good question, Tom. I like how you probe me. I like it. Uh, so I, I feel like my twenties, to be honest, I sacrificed most of them to set my life up. 
I wanted to make sure that by the time I hit 30, I had my stuff in order, you know? Do I, you? And I feel like I do in this, to a certain degree, but my ambition always outweighs where I'm at. That's the challenge I'm always finding. But okay. looking back, I'm probably a lot better off right now than I'd have predicted when I was 21, for example, and going off into my career in the city of London. But it, it, it came with a sacrifice. I sacrificed having close loving relationships, for example. I sacrificed finding the one that I wanted to be with because I, I felt like I had to become the person to attract the right person to my life rather than having chaos. And in particular, the big thing for me is finances. I think that uh, our friend Richard Dolan talks about this a lot as well, how if we can solve a money condition, Grant Cardone as well, he's a massive believer in this. If we can help people solve their financial condition, so many other areas of their life can improve because they've now got the financial wherewithal to make choices and decisions. And so I think that's what it was for me. It was just my realization of priorities and also growing up in a household with a lot of tension growing up. And obviously my dad's getting fired. There was tension at times between my parents just because there was stress when there wasn't money around. And so I've seen the stress that money can create if we don't have an abundant amount of it or we don't have consistent income coming in. And so I think I made that commitment in my early 20s that I wanted to learn the truth about money and become the very best investor that I can so that finances are never going to be a problem for myself and my family as I create one. So I'm going to dig a little deeper on this question because I only got a partial answer. Do it. What happened in your life at somewhere in your very early 20s and maybe in your late teens that you made the decision that you had to give something up to get your goal? Were you already clear, clear on what your goal was and you understood the, the balance between giving something up to get that? And if that is true, I don't want to put words in your mouth. If that's true, what happened for you to know KNOW that? I think the, the big shift in my path, it came when I was at that nuclear power plant and decided this wasn't for me. I'm going into the city of London into the heartbeat of Europe to learn about money and finance. And I think that what I realized was from a lot of the people that I met, how they had had to sacrifice their life in investment banking, in private equity, in the financial world during their early 20s in order to actually, yes, you can make a lot of money and you would learn a lot, you work very hard, but you realize when you're getting into the industry that you're your role is the number one thing. And at any point in time, you can be given the chops. So it's a very high achieving environment and it attracts those with that competitive edge towards it because it's so challenging. It's so cutthroat at times as well. There's no remorse. If they have to fire people, they'll, they'll do it in the blink of an eye if you're not performing. So it's very, it's very much a results driven culture being in that environment. And so I feel like that was the path that I went down where I almost knew, I was like, I'm, I'm happy to do this. I know that I'm going to be working 100 hours. I knew before I went into it that it was going to be tough. It was nothing that was unexpected. I was working you know, 100 plus hour weeks, which basically means in the week, you're leaving the office at two to three in the morning, getting a free taxi cab home, waking up at 6 a.m. to get back to the office for half seven to prep for the morning meetings when your boss comes in at 8 a.m. And 
And so that was basically my life. Monday to Friday, then Saturday and Sunday, if you were lucky, you'd have a lie until about 9 a.m. and then you'd be in the office and then you'd probably leave, say, at midnight. <laughs> and then so it was just if you do the maths, 100 hours a week, there's not a lot of week left in the 168 hours that we have. So it, especially it when you're sleeping most of that 68 it, hours. That's right. Ideally, you want to be sleeping all of that. But <laughs> you, you very rarely were because you know, taxi journeys, travel, commute, and all the rest of it, and just getting ready and trying to keep your own self in order. So there's not much time left to work out and to manage your life as well. And so that was the challenge that I had is there wasn't really ever a balance. And I just remember that, I I remember it was Christmas and I was working in the city. I finally got back for like three days over Christmas to see my family. And my parents were worried about me. My parents were concerned because they felt I was working too hard. They gave me that doubt, that uncertainty. You're working too hard. You're all about work and money now. What's going on? And that's what sometimes happens when we become too obsessed in one area for a period of time. We'll always have people pouring in the doubt. And it's often the ones that we love the most around us who are doing it. And so I just remembered it was the Christmas time when I was working and I'd been working around the clock in the run-up to this. And I was only back for about two, three days. And then I had to get back to the office between Christmas and New Year. And I just remember I was sitting in the lounge that day. When I, I think it was Boxing Day 20. It must have been like 2012, 2013. I was sitting in, in the lounge and just looking in space and basically meditating. Like, where do I want to be? Where do I want to take my life going forward? Because this is not sustainable. I can't still be doing this in my 30s. And that was basically when I set the vision for where I wanted to take things. I was like, right, I'm going to break out of investment banking in the coming months. I'm going to work for private equity funds, have a better work-life balance, although it was still very intense there. It was a lot better than investment banking, being an analyst, doing all of the grunt work. And, and, and so that was basically where I changed my course. And so I feel like life for me has always been that, that I, I've always made sure I've had space to think and to plan and to strategize. And I feel that that is one of the biggest things that we don't give ourselves permission to have is that space to think, what do we really want in life? Where do we really want to go? Is there something in my life right now that I need to change? Because we're so caught up in being busy. And if we look at the last year, actually, I mean, regardless of our our opinions towards all of these lockdowns and everything that happens, I mean, one thing for sure is that the world has slowed down. And I think more people have woken up for sure because the world has slowed down. And now more and more people are questioning the truth and everything else right now. But they're also questioning what their purpose is in life. I think because you no longer need to go to work for money. The government will give you the money, right? You need to go to work now for your purpose. There's something deeper now behind work, whereas everyone previously typically 95 plus percent of the population goes to work to create money because that's what they think work is they, they need to go to work in order to create money and now we've got this paradigm shift where we no longer need to do that we're now we're moving to a new world of likely universal basic income and hey all these stimulus checks are clearly a test for it so we're going through a new world now where i think more people will take time to think to strategize and to really really get creative as to where they want to take their life. And that's really what shapes my course of my career today in, in being where I am today, you know? Awesome. So you mentioned a few minutes back that your mom or both your parents were uh, concerned about you working too much. How do they feel about that issue now? They still think you're working too much? 
This is funny. They still think I'm working too much for sure. That's definitely the case. I think having a girlfriend in my life calms them down a bit the last few years for sure because parents are so simple. (laughs) (laughs) Make them think that you're on their path, which is creating a relationship and building a family and they can tolerate almost all of the other things that they would be worried about. Yeah, Thomas, you, you nailed it. You know it, right? This is basically how, how it's evolved recent years. Throughout my mid-20s, it was always, when are you going to get time to go and find a girlfriend? You know, when are you going to set up a family? You're, all you're doing is you're working all the time, you know? And the funny thing is that now, my mum even says to me, even even now, right, four years, in, four years, four and a half years in business now, my mum still says to me, do you really think it was a good idea leaving your high-paying city job? You know, I still get that today. I still get that today. So now I just, I I realize how important it is that just because someone loves us, it doesn't mean they give us the right advice. And and it goes both ways. And I can, I love my mom and my dad with all of my heart. I really do. But it doesn't mean that they give me the right advice all the time. And if I had lived into their own vision for what they wanted me to do, I would be, you know, I would not have got into investment banking for sure. I mean, all my teenage years, it was, you know, the bankers are the liars. They stole all of this. We had the financial crash. And my dad was always pouring the blame on the bankers back then. I remember it, watching the news, getting hyped up and emotional about the bankers. And and then, you know, I end up becoming a banker. You can imagine what that kind of involves like in the next Oh, tell years. me about that. That must have been a great story. That was a yeah. That was a really interesting turnaround because my parents were definitely concerned. But this is the thing: is we close our minds to opportunity, and I went down the rabbit hole to figure out what is investment banking, what actually goes on. And then when I found out that it's actually about dealing with businesses, learning about accounting, learning about how to forecast financial models, I'm like, these sound just like the skills that I'd need to be an entrepreneur. I'm going to go down this route. He did as a learning journey, and and that's what I did. And in exchange, you know, I worked flipping hard for my employers at the time, and it was actually the Canadians, Royal Bank of Canada, that I worked for over in London. So it's funny because I'm in Canada today, right? How things come around. Yeah. But um, and and now, <laughs> you know, it your path always makes sense long term, but we've got to be intentional that we're not just living into the values of our parents, which is what so many people do, right? Their parents will impose their values on their, on their children, I feel, and, and want their children to replicate what they did. Like you were just saying, Tom, they, they want us to replicate what their vision is for life, but actually we've all got our own independent vision for life, and we've got to step into that and really own it. So I'm going to put the onus on you now, Dad. Sometime in the... I, from my viewpoint, the near future, you're going to have children. So I'm going to send you a copy of this video and I want you to play what you just said for your kids and let um, them grade you and how you're doing for that. Let's because do it. Because you, 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 you're, you're, you're exterior to that problem right now and you're making total sense. You're being completely logical. You're unemotional about it. And... Don't let that change because if you watch Grant raise his kids, he's doing such a great job. They're such little powerhouses. He teaches them, you know, the, the, the videos that you've seen of him teaching them about money and the other things that he does, uh, you know, those are important things. 
It doesn't mean you're not responsible for creating a safe environment for them. It doesn't mean that you're not responsible for the discipline part of it. But from my viewpoint, little kids are just adults in little tiny bodies. And mm. it's, it, you know, you got to, rem- if you think through that viewpoint that I've always done, it changes the way that you talk to them. I've always talked to my son from the viewpoint of, I remember the first day I brought him home from the hospital and I said, listen, this is the way it's going to work around here. Do anything you want, but be willing to pay the price. Meaning if you do stuff that I don't want you to do, and I've told you in advance, here's what happens if I find out about it, or here's what happens if you do it and someone else tells me about it. And you just decide whether you want to invest that risk into the decisions you make. I remember to this day, he was sitting in a little car carrier and I had him in the on the kitchen table. And I also never baby talked to my son and I wouldn't allow anyone else to do it because this that cute little baby talk that kids have, they're mm. taught that by their parents. They're taught that by their relatives. And it's a waste of time. You're teaching them the wrong language. Teach them yeah. how to talk like people, like adults, because I've always looked at it from that viewpoint that inside that little tiny body, there's a spiritual being who's is timeless in nature and treat them like an adult and you'll help grow an adult. And, you know, I'm, 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 I'm stealing your time and your thunder. I just, I, no, but I love that Tom because it's, it's a good point. It's, it's very, it's very true. And it's, it's appropriate because I think, now we've got families spending more time than ever before together as everyone's working from home still, you know? So it's something that we have to be conscious about. Those zero to seven years are the most formative years in our life, right? The zero to seven, because our conscious mind isn't yet, it isn't yet formed fully. So everything in our environment just goes whoop straight into the baby's brain and becomes a part of us. So when you're talking about how you communicate to the babies that they are literally you're forming an adult in a, in a baby's body. So I love that analogy. Well, if you think of it that like you're the educational system and recognize that everything that you do and say is a lesson to them Mm. and that they're watching you as a parent operate in the world and if you're by if you are screaming or in a yeller and that's the way you get things done is puffing and puffing, they're gonna pick to emulate that because if they watch it, you always get your way by being uh, a bully uh, or, a, or or Hitler or any other person that you want to any other uh, type of person. That's what they're going to adopt. And you have to be aware of that. And you need to make sure that you realize that you are the educational system for your mm. children. And because you're such a planner, write up for yourself right now what you want for your children. Okay. And I'm not talking about um, whether they become a guitar player in a rock band or whatever that is. Write up what you want their core values should be. And then train them. It's, it's just like your employees. They're exactly like mm. your employees. That's a great way to look at it, being intentional, you know? Well, but that came right from you. I listened to what you said. <laughs> <laughs> Appreciate you, Tom. <laughs> okay. So we're getting really close to our end of the hour. Is there any message you'd like to give to planet Earth and there's 7 billion people that you feel you haven't covered in your story yet or life lesson or life story? 
Oh, no pressure. No pressure, Tom. <laughs> so everybody's leaning into the screen right now. What is, what is it gonna be? going to be? I would say that my biggest realization in recent years, especially the, my, the decade of my 20s, and it's something that Grant Cardone taught us all, which is, is so, so true. And that is, we've got to commit first and figure the rest out later. But here's what that commitment looks like. The moment that you commit, you have to expect, you have to feel in to that end result. Because if you don't, you're just copying yourself out of it. You're, you're repelling that result from happening. And this is the thing is most of us make lousy commitments because we're never taught how to really commit. And for me, commitment has been cutting off all other options. When I left my city job and I handed in my notice, it was a bygone conclusion that I was leaving. There was nothing they could have done to keep me because I'd made the decision. And I made the decision to put my back against the wall and I expected things to work out on the other side. And if we don't expect the expectation part, this is the key thing missing for most people when it comes to decisions. They, they have all of these ideas all this inspiration. I'd love to start a business. I'd love to do that. I wish I could do that. I wish I had the courage that you do to go. And, and people are always coming at me with these kind of comments. And I just say to them, well, you've just not made the decision yet. You've not yet committed. You don't expect it to work out. You're fearing the worst. You're, you're thinking about what if. But actually, when I look at my 20s, whether it was getting into investment banking from a standing start, knowing nobody in the financial world, effectively. I had no, you know, my parents weren't in that space. I, I just went gung-ho about it and committed. I knew it was going to happen. And then it, it happened. You know, I, I was very clear on it. I was visualizing how it was going to pan out. And it, it happened very closely in hindsight to what I was visualizing before I was even in the city. It was so close. It's ridiculous. And then the same thing, making that decision to jump into business, making that decision to leave banking for private equity or making that decision to just, you know, whatever it is in your life, it doesn't have to be business and career oriented, but you've got to make that decision and expect the end result because it's that expectation that allows the creative process to happen. And you don't need to know the how. You really don't need to know the how. Another thing that's quite relevant recent years was doing events with Grant in the UK. I, in fact, when I was in private equity, I remember I was listening to, and in banking, I was listening to Grant Cardone day in, day out in my mind. And he was the one who gave me that inspiration to finally go out there. He gave me the confidence, the skills to go out there and produce on my own and, and no longer have to rely on somebody else for my income. And that's what I really got from Grant was that if you spend enough time around someone, you'll, you will reprogram your brain and be able to make commitments. So if you're not there yet, it's probably just because if someone's listening in, you've just got to tune into the right energy, the right information, listen to what Tom and others are putting out there because it can change your life when you condition yourself to a new environment. And when you just put in the earphones and listen to Grant Cardone or whatever it is, or some inspirational mentor in your life, it will reprogram your brain over time to the point where you finally have the courage, you have the commitment, and no one can tell you when it will be. But I remember for me, there was a point when I was like, yeah, why am I still here? Because I finally had a plan and the confidence and the courage and the commitment, most importantly, to leave and do my own thing. And so that's really what I'd love to share with people is if you have a dream right now, expect it to work out, 
and it can happen. I mean, when I did events with Grant Cardone in the UK, that was a dream I had when I was first listening to him working in the city. I was like, I'm going to make Grant Cardone my friend somehow. I don't know how it's going to happen. I don't know when it's going to happen, but somehow I'm going to make Grant Cardone my friend because I just knew he was someone that I needed to learn from. And from that idea, five years later, it effectively happened because we spent two weeks in the UK together doing multiple events in London, Cardiff, and Glasgow. In my hometown of Cardiff as well, I managed to bring Cardone to Cardiff, of all things, and, and formed a relationship together where we're still close friends to this day. But that's how it happened. Was I had the expectation that it would somehow pan out, and it did. Awesome story. Awesome story. So before I sign off, I'll ask you the most important question. Is there anything I can do for you? I appreciate you, Thomas, and all the support that you've you've shown me over. Because, you know, I look at you as a close friend, even though we're not always together in person. I know we've met in person a number of times. I remember you the first time when, for example, Grant Cardone launched his licensing program. We were both there together in Las Vegas as two of the very first signups. You know, so you're someone who I admire in a massive way because you've got a real deep commitment and just dogged determination to always show up. And I love that. And I think you're a true inspiration to so many people. And in terms of, you know, what you can do to be of service to me, I think let's keep the dialogue open. You know, you're a close friend of mine. And I think as conversations evolve for the coming months, there's going to be a lot of opportunities to tie up together and have have more of a dialogue between us and just know that I'm here for you too, right? I want this to be a two-way thing and I'm here to support you every step of the way and, and Julie as well. Anything that I can do for you, I'm here, whether in Canada, the UK, the USA, hopefully I can get back in soon. Let's stay connected and stay close. Awesome. Awesome. So that is the end of today's podcast with my special guest, Matt Soltis and uh, Matthew until the next time. Let's do, but let's do this again. Let's do it, Thomas. You've got me on it. Make make sure that uh, you get a copy of this video so that your children can see it. I appreciate you. And thanks for the questions because now you held me accountable to that. Absolutely. That's my job. Thank you. Take sir. care, Thomas. Speak soon. Okay. Bye-bye. Well, that was fun, wasn't it? I'm invested in your business and personal success, and I hope you found this episode of the podcast insightful. If you or your business is ready to grow, check out my website, 10 Excellence. This is the way that you do that. Number 10, then xlenz.com. Be sure to follow me and send questions on Facebook at Arrow and Marine Tax Professionals and on Twitter and YouTube at Thomas Alston. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you on our next episode.